I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, October 31st, 2021, and this is episode 144 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing was We Saw The Harder They Fall, which comes out on Netflix this coming Wednesday, but it's in theaters for a limited time. I'm assuming because they want to be eligible for Academy Awards, and as far as I know, things still need to have a theatrical release for that, even a mini theatrical release. So it's only playing at one theater near us. Um, And we saw it yesterday, and it's this black cowboy movie with Idris Elba and Regina King, and it is fantastic. When the trailer dropped a few months ago, like everyone's jaws were dropping. Everyone was like, what? And so I was a little bit afraid that it would be disappointing. Like after kind of a buildup, you you really want it to be good. And it was amazing. It was on every level. So James Samuel, the director, wrote it, directed it. He's a musician, so he did the score. <laughs> like I just was watching the credits and I was like, oh, because I, I did not do any research <laughs> about it beforehand. Every on every level, and and you can tell how much he loves westerns and just movies in general. You can see the callbacks to Spike Lee and Quentin Tarantino, so you can kind of see his influences. One of the only criticisms I have is that maybe he has too many influences, and you know it's his first feature film, so he's still kind of probably developing his own style. It's very stylish, but it's not like one cohesive style. Like Spike Lee, I think, has a cohesive style. Wes Anderson, very distinctive style. So James Samuel, who's the director of this one, you can see just he loves everything. He loves movies. He loves shots. And he's got really interesting compositions and things that are cool and camera movements. And it's just all of them are there. And so it's a minor criticism because it's not really distracting. I notice it. You can't help but notice. It isn't, I don't think it took away from anything. I just think that he was he was just so excited about making this movie and putting everything he loved in it that he put everything in it. But the music is amazing. The acting, like production design, so, so good. So when it comes out on Netflix, definitely see it. It is great. It, it, it takes real life characters and puts them in a fictional situation. And um, there was some, some talk about colorism um, because Zazie Beetz, who is like a biracial actress, was cast as uh, st- stagecoach Mary, who in real life was a very dark-looking woman. And normally that is a problem. The thing about this case is the male actors who are cast as real-life black cowboys are much darker than the real people. You know, if you look at the real um, Nat Love and um, Cherokee Bill and other characters who are played by brown and dark-skinned actors – in real life, some of them were very light-skinned. And so when when everyone is cast mixed up like that, I, I don't think that there's one a reason to call out only Zazzy Beats. Like normally I am, you know, colorism is such a, a thing in our community and in Hollywood and casting a light-skinned actress to play a real-life dark-skinned woman is generally a no-no. But in this case, when they cast dark-skinned actors to play light-skinned real people, I feel like they've done so much mixing up of things. And there are other brown skin and dark skin actresses on screen with big meaty roles that I feel like in this case, the criticism is not necessarily warranted. So good. It just, I left the theater invigorated and really happy and um, kind of inspired in a certain way, which, which I need. <laughs> I need all the inspiration I can get right now. 
I do have an honorable mention for this week's best thing, which is this very adorable TikTok story that I saw on Twitter, because I still don't have TikTok, um, about this young woman in Canada. And it's it's kind of a story of how she met this guy in this their first date, and it's book-related, and it's very sweet. You really should watch it. But basically, she was on the train recounting the story of how she was going to this bar, and she just wanted to meet someone who loved books and, and hot chocolate or something like that. And so she had this tote bag with a bookstore printed on it. So this guy comes up to her at the bar, and he's like, oh, I like your bag. And then he kind of walks away, and she's like, oh, okay. And then he comes up later, and he wrote this note, and he recommended this book, and he's like, if you want to talk about it, and he gives her a number. And it's so adorable. And then she has a follow-up. If you click on the tweet, go to the like two tweets down is a follow-up video where she talks about the first date. And I don't want any more follow-ups. I'm going to just headcanon, you know, in my mind, they go off eventually, they're getting married. I don't want to know if they break up. I just want it to exist in this space, in this perfect, you know, this perfect meet cute, um, especially for book lovers and writers and romance writers. Like this is the perfect romance <laughs> like fodder for a story. And yeah, I don't want to know anymore. I'm just happy with what I know right now. And that's it. So don't anyone tell me anything else if you know more. <laughs> I will not be following up with these people. Um, but yeah, that was that was also like, it warmed my heart to see. Because uh, you hear a lot about like young people and they seem to be, she seemed to be like in her 20s and like a fairly young person. Um, and just you're hearing things about like dating is not happening. Men aren't approaching women anymore to ask them out and... People like Xennials, what do they call them, Generation Z, is not getting married in higher numbers, or it's getting married in very low numbers, I should say. And um, yeah, the state of love and romance is seems to be in jeopardy. I don't know. Internet, they blame porn, they blame lots of things. Uh, and so seeing a little heartwarming story of, of a meet-cute that is completely adorable and warms my heart and is book-related is nice and yeah, so another this week's best thing. So for my writing update, I uh, am still working on revising two books. In the middle of the week, I did decide that if I focused all my energy on the revision for my paranormal romance, Savage City, that I could finish it this weekend, like today, I will be finishing it. And then I have all next week to focus on the, the final chapters of The Monsters We Defy, which is the, the uh, 1925 uh, heist, fantasy heist. And that worked out really well because, you know, the pacing speeds up at the end, especially for the paranormal romance. So the chapters were a little bit shorter and they didn't need as much work. And so I could just, I did like five or six chapters in one day. And I was like, oh, well, I can just push and get this done in a couple of days. And then, because going back and forth with a revision, like I've said before, is difficult. It's much easier for me if I'm at two different stages when I'm working on two projects. So a first draft and a revision, different parts of my brain. Revision editing is is so draining. It's so um, it takes a lot out of you, like emotionally and the creative energy, which somehow is connected to physical energy. And I just feel so tired after you know revising a few chapters of this one and then a few chapters of this one. So for this final push, and especially towards the end, um, I just started feeling with both books, like oh my gosh, are these both terrible? <laughs> You know, there's there's ups and downs of of doubt uh, with with writing and I, probably with all art. And sometimes you're on top of the world and you're like, this is the best thing I've ever written. And sometimes you're like, who decided that this was good enough to publish? I don't believe that my editor really likes this. And I don't know why I'm publishing this book. And those thoughts creep in. So in an effort to 
try to create a more reliable headspace for myself, I decided just to focus for a few days, you know, these last two weeks. And I think that was the right decision. I mean, I think doing both, I needed to do both at the same time in order to make these deadlines. Um, but changing strategy can often be very helpful, especially when you're feeling something, um, something like just the internal intuition, I guess, you know, I was just like, hmm, I think that Monsters was the, is the harder revision. I've been asked to do a little bit more because it's coming from my editor, whereas the Savage City revisions are coming from feedback and editorial feedback as well, but it's not as intense. And so holding both in my head is the real challenge. Like at the end of a book, especially with this revision, I have to be able to hold everything and know all of the threads, make sure that I am wrapping them up in a satisfying way and just feeling it emotionally. And that is difficult to sort of be in the emotions of the book and the characters and the arcs for two different things that are very different um, and have different pacing. And, and so I think that's really why revising two things is difficult. And um, yeah, so I, I had written this really emotional scene in Savage City, like I had to rewrite a whole scene. And I was just in it. I was feeling it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it needed. Do I need to go back and bring this level of emotion to other things? But this is like a peak, you know, there's the peaks and valleys of, of the emotions in a book. And um, I was glad I could just focus on that and sit with that. And so next week, that's what I have to do with monsters is just sit with all of the emotions in the book, you know, kind of relive everything so that I can bring it to its conclusion. I've also been thinking about the release of Savage City and um, the book too. So it's a trilogy. Um, way back when I was very ambitious and I was like, I'm going to write this five book series or six book series, whatever it was supposed to be, which was not realistic. So now it's a trilogy and I have ideas for, you know, future books. But if I do it in groups of trilogies, if I continue the series, that's, that's how I would do it. So this overarching story, um, book one ends in a satisfying way, but um, was an opening for book two. Book two, just thinking about my schedule and the things that I'm committed to, I cannot start writing. I do not think I will be able to start writing book two until next summer, which means uh, book two probably will not come out until spring of 2023. And so that briefly this week, I was thinking, what if I just pushed back book one? Like, I don't know. If, like my whole goal has been to get this book out in the spring of 2022 before my embargo for my traditional publishers. Um, so three months before uh, when Monsters are supposed to come out, which I don't have a firm date on, but I have a targeted date. And But then it's like, I do want to have book two on pre-order when I release book one, but I won't even have written book two by the time this, if I, if I released book one in the spring, book two would be coming out in the next spring, which is a normal publication schedule for traditional publishers. Not, not so much for self-publishing, but it's really just the best I can do. And um, so I was like, well, what if I held this book? What if I finish it and don't publish it till like the fall or the winter until it's closer to when book two would come out? And I don't like the way that feels. I do as a reader. Okay. As a reader, a year between books that are connected 
is tough. There's going to be the same characters. It's going to be a continuation of the main couple from this book, plus a new couple, sort of like what I did in uh, book three of Aristotle Chronicles, which was not what I wanted to do. I wanted complete standalones. Didn't work out that way. The muse was not cooperating with my business strategy. (laughs) And that's fine. It is what it is. Uh, But I don't like holding books. I want to, it's done. I want to put it out. And so obviously the rapid release model that many self-publishers follow is not for me. And I just have to make my peace with that. I think uh, I thought I had, and then I was like, oh, well, what if I just hold, hold this? Then it'll be closer to the time. It'll probably still be five months or something. Um, if I like release in the fall or the winter, but I don't really want to do that. I don't know. One of the the benefits of being able to self-publish is being able to put the book out when it's done. And, you know, you have to wait for traditionally published books in a series. And um, so it's possible. It's kind of annoying. And, you know, I forget characters and what happened in previous books. Like I picked up an, a book, The Princess Knight by J.A. Aiken, because I had read the first book in the series, The Blacksmith Queen, when it came out. And these are traditionally published fantasy romance books. Very light on the romance. It was a very slow burn uh, in the first book. But I picked it up and I started reading the first chapter. And I'm like, I do not remember anything that happened in the first book. And I don't have time to reread the first book. So I did go back to like Goodreads and I started reading reviews of the first book because that will jog my memory because a lot of times people will recap things in the reviews. And I was like, okay, it's sort of coming back to me now. I think I think I remember. Um, but yeah, that that sense as a reader of of not remembering what happened in a book when the events are connected, and these books are actually more standalones. It's like the situation is over, is interconnected. But as far as I can tell, this Princess Knight it picks up where the last book left off, but just with focused on these other two characters. But it was just referencing so much that I was just like. I needed to go back. So in my rambling way, I am still trying to come to terms with this decision. I think I will go ahead and just release Savage City when it is ready and write the next book when I can and release it, you know, as soon as I can. Put the pre-order for a year after. And then I know that I can always move the pre-order up, um, but you can't, well, you get penalized, at least with Amazon, if you push it back. That's why I would do it for a year. And maybe it can come out a little earlier than that. And that would be great. That would be a bonus. And then book three would probably come out faster because my current obligations would be completed. And then, you know, there might be new obligations. You know, I might have a new contract by then. Who knows what's happening? I'm trying to do one day at a time as much as possible while still scheduling two years in the future. So can you really live one day at a time when you have to plan for the future? So this is my thought process that I'm sharing with you. Um, yeah, I think I just really need to sit with this decision and just make my peace with it. Things don't always go according to like best practices. And and as I was talking to my mastermind partners today in our meeting, you know, talking through this issue, uh, my friend asked me about my goal. Like, what is my goal for the series? And we talk about, you know, is it financial goals? Is it sales goals? Is it just internal satisfaction goals? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Because that is how you figure out what to do. And I'm a big fan of that. Like, I preach that all the time. Like, you have to know your goal. If someone asks me, well, should I self-publish or should I try to get an agent? And it's like, well, 
what is your goal? You know, like, do you want to see your book on the shelves? Do you want to get awards? Do you want to make money? Like, all of these things factor in. So it is a very valid question. And I don't have an answer. I couldn't come up with an answer then. I don't have an answer now. I mean, the best answer I have is, I just want to write books and put them out and have people who <laughs> and have people read them if they want to read them and tell people about them and hopefully convince people to read them because I think they're very good and I like them a lot. That is my goal. Is that okay? Um, it is not a business strategy. I realize that. And sometimes, and maybe that's okay. I have to make my peace with that as well. Like I, It's a continual process. I'm always kind of fighting against my my desire for knowledge of how things work and best practices and how people are being successful at this and the strategies that they're using. And then learning all of these things and not doing any of them because some of them just don't fit with me. Some of them just don't fit with what my heart wants to do. You know, like, I really wish it wasn't so complicated. I mean, it is complicated, but I could take a moment and 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 lament the fact that it is complicated. I did have goals when I first decided to accept a traditional publishing contract. And my goals back then were to take the advance money and to use that to fund my self-published projects so that I could have, you know, a corner or a space here to do exactly what I wanted to do and not worry about it. And I think I just need to come back to that idea. Um, that, yeah, my goal is to write a book that I really want to write that I love. And most of the time I do love it. I'm, I'm in the dip right now and I think it's terrible, but I'm going to come out of that and love it again, I know. And, uh, and put it out into the world. Maybe that's the goal. And, you know, it's not going to be on like a P&L sheet for my business, but that's the goal. And that is actually feels right to me. That feels good. Like trying to assign a numerical value to it at this stage. I mean, yes, you want books to make money, to at least break even and then make a profit, ideally. And beyond that, like so much is out of our control. Like, which is what I told my friend. I was like, I, I feel kind of strange trying to set a goal. Like I could say, okay, I want to sell 10,000 copies of this book. Well, I don't control any of that. You know, I control the book and putting it out there and, you know, the marketing that I do for it. But at this point, and I think at this point, having been publishing for six years um, in both methods, and seeing just the variations and like, you feel like I've been around the block a, a time or two. Um, I don't want to set a numerical goal. I just, part of it is the fear that I won't meet it. And part of it is the energy that it would take to try to meet it and um, the time and effort and money and I'm tired. So setting goals is good most of the time. And maybe this is just a period where I have to give myself some grace and be like, I just want to write this book and put it out there and, and give it the best cover. I love this cover so much. Ah. Um, you know, do the best I can with it and, and see where it happens. That's my goal. So yeah, that is where we are with the writing. Um, I decided to 
wait until I turn these two projects in to start the next project. I was going to try to start it in November 1st, you know, for Nano, but too much. It's too much. So I would do what I can do um, on that regard. And then, yeah, work on these other projects. Think about these things after I've turned in these two books, which I do um, November 8th. I have a loose schedule in my mind for the the draft that I have to do of the novel or the first part of the novel, and then these two shorter projects that I have to work on. And that will come together once I give it some more brain space, which I have failed so far to do. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm feeling positive about things. I'm just also racked with self-doubt at the same time. And welcome to being a writer. <laughs> In other news, um, I really want to recommend the Writing Excuses podcast, which I recommend all the time. But the latest episode, which uh, had Fonda Lee, they're doing a new like mini series with Fonda Lee. Was talking about where, like, how people um, create their stories. Like, are they plot first? Are they world first? Are they character first? And those are basically the three buckets. And I've had stories that come in all all of these ways where the, the character comes first or just the, the plot concept or the world comes first. And those are all completely valid. And, and so I think they're talking about how to generate those ideas, how to take those kernels, those seeds and grow them into the other parts of the story that you need because you need all of them. So that was really good. And I'm looking forward to the, the new episodes in that series. I also wanted to recommend another podcast, uh, it's called Bully Pulpit with Bob Garfield. And there is a two-part series on Fox and whether Fox can, uh, the news channel Fox, can be charged under the RICO conspiracy like, act or um, the law, which is usually for like, gangsters and the mafia. Getting political, but it's fascinating. And it's really interesting. What I really liked about it was, especially the second episode, talking about free speech in the First Amendment. And... um you know, the host of this podcast is is very liberal, uh, very opposed to Fox, as you can probably tell by wanting to charge them with Rico. Uh, and also questioning whether the First Amendment, whether the First Amendment should still be in effect in the same way, which is a very dangerous ground. And his guest, who is like a First Amendment legal uh, expert, reinforces this, which is why I think it's a really good listen. Because you hear this on both sides, on the left and the right, about free speech and the First Amendment and what speech is or should be protected. Hate speech is protected under the First Amendment. And I think there's a very good reason for that. And when we try to limit it, there's so many unintended consequences. And I think well-intentioned people, you know, don't want harm to come onto other people from speech or actions or anything else. But they go into this very poorly thought out um, direction. And I'm being caught in this time period when when that's actually a question like, well, should we just, you know, limit the should should the First Amendment not cover hate speech? Of course, the logical question then is who decides what's hate speech? And uh, can we agree? And at the moment, we cannot agree on what hate speech is. And so it has to be protected. 
no matter how horrible and hateful it is. And so, yeah, I just recommend that as a very interesting listen. Um, I enjoy that podcast. It's very thought provoking. And uh, especially for people who are not satisfied with either political party and either side of this polemic that the politics is is in right now, which is very, very depressing. But I think that as writers, as published people who publish, people who put work out for public consumption, these are important issues. Free speech, First Amendment is for artists everywhere is important. And uh, yeah, so. So that is it for me for this week. Um, It is Halloween. I am not a Halloween person. I don't enjoy or find a lot of joy in dressing up in costumes. Uh, But I wish everyone happy Halloween, although it's passed by the time you hear this, but I hope you had a happy, a wonderful Halloween. (laughs) I'm not even a person who loves candy. Like, I... I'm not a candy person, I'm not a chocolate person. Um, I like fun. Don't think that I'm like a Halloween Grinch, but I don't participate. <laughs> but yes, I hope that you had a wonderful Halloween. And my goals are to uh, finish this stuff, finish this book today, finish this other book over the course of the week, and get a better handle on a schedule for all of the other things I need to do by the end of the year. And just make my peace with some things, which is ongoing. I mean, it's been happening. It'll continue happening. I'll come up against the same questions and maybe make come to the same conclusions or maybe change them. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I will talk to you next week. And happy reading. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show and my imaginary friends as part of the Frolic Podcast Network. I don't know why I said it like that. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>